0: Well, good morning, church. It is uh, a pleasure to be sharing God's Word here this morning. It was a couple of weeks ago in our operations meeting um, where Patrick uh, mentioned a quote by a famous novelist from the 1800s called Fyodor Dostovsky. Dostoevsky, Russian, and he said in his novel called The Idiot that beauty will save the world. And the moment that Patrick said that, I knew what I would be preaching on today. And uh, Ruan, if you could control the slides, because I don't think it's going to control from here. Beauty will save the world, Fyodor Dostoevsky. And so the topic for this morning is beauty, which is a strange topic to talk about at church. Now, I'm sure you've noticed that it's November, and along with November, there's a concerted effort that's, that Australians make to beautifying things, because it's Christmas, well, it's close to Christmas. Maybe you walked into the shops this week, and you would have noticed the decoration that the shopping centres are starting to do. There are Christmas trees, and Christmas presents, and Christmas crackers, and, and they're hanging from the ceilings, and it's truly Beautiful. There are some churches, even now in November, that start singing Christmas carols, and, and we notice that beauty isn't just something we behold with our eyes, but something we behold with our ears. And perhaps you've been driving down the street and you've noticed someone who's started putting up Christmas lights on their house. And there's Christmas lights everywhere near our house, particularly the main road, Chatswood, chats would drive. As you drive up, there's already people starting to put up Christmas lights. And so you notice that there's this concerted effort that people start to place on beautifying things. There's something about this season that just kind of bursts with color and bursts with life and bursts with beauty, particularly this season compared to other seasons. There's no other season in the year where beauty is so emphasized We don't don't emphasize this kind of beauty in Easter, on Father's Day, on Mother's Day. I mean, there are glimpses of, of beauty, but not to this level. We emphasize beauty in this season when it comes to Christmas. And so I thought that it would be pertinent and relevant for us to talk about beauty, particularly as we enter into a season of joy here at Grace House. As we enter into a season of joy, I thought beauty would be a fitting topic for us to consider this morning, and so what I want to do is start by observing beauty, making some, some observations together about beauty, the nature of beauty, and then from there I want to connect beauty to God, and then lastly, draw out one application point for us here this morning. Does that sound good? All right, start with some observations. Beauty is a phenomenon that philosophers throughout history, age after age, have tried to observe or analyze, they've tried to rationalize, and they've tried to explain. And even though, as the generations roll by and philosophers build upon, other philosophers' ideas, they stand on the shoulders of giants, even though one philosopher takes the previous philosopher's ideas and builds upon it, they all finish their analysis of beauty with the conclusion that there's so much more to dig into it, there's so much more to unravel, and there's still so much mystery in relation to beauty that we can know. No matter how much they look at it, time and time again, they come to the conclusion that there's just something about beauty that can be experienced but not explained. And so, I thought we would look at the phenomenon of beauty here this morning and look at five observations particularly. It's not a comprehensive list. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's probably the main things when you you look at beauty and you try and analyze it. You put it in a vacuum chamber and, and take a look at beauty and the mystery of it. Here's the first one. The very existence of beauty is a mystery. The very existence of beauty is a mystery. I want you to ask yourself question here this morning, why do we even have beauty? Like, why does it even exist? Why is the world not colorless and bland? Have you ever thought about that question? Why is green, green and not, I don't know, colorless, black and white? Why, is, why, why do I get to see my daughter smiling and she can, before church, fill my arms with stickers all over them? Why is it that there is so much beauty in our Why is the world fundamentally beautiful? And there's so much of it. And why is there so many different types of beauty? We can hear beauty. We just heard beauty listening to music. We can see beauty in sunsets and sunrises. We can taste beauty with our palates. There is food. There is texture. There is taste, different tasting food. You can see your, your daughter, your son smile. You can hug your parents. You can laugh with your partner. There is so much beauty. Why is there so much beauty and so much different types of beauty? Theoretically, I can kind of see a world, the possibility of a world, where beauty doesn't exist, and it would kind of be a little bit bland. It would be black and white, there would be no color, and we wouldn't be moved by movies or music or theater because they wouldn't exist. And food would be purely for nutritional value. You'd probably just take pills. they wouldn't have color and texture and taste. You'd just take this pill it would give you vitamin B12 and take this pill and it'd be vitamin D and and so on and so forth. Can you imagine a world without beauty? I can't. I mean, I can theoretically think of the possibility of it, but I'm just surrounded by so much beauty on a daily basis that I can't imagine a world without beauty. In fact, I don't want to imagine a world without beauty. I was talking to um, Matt Hubner the other day, and he showed me his phone that's in black and white, right Matt? It's in black and white. And he told me that he's configured his phone in such a way that it doesn't show colour on the screen. And he starts to tell me that it's a tactic to dis- disincentivize your brain to go on your phone, to, to not use it as much. It's a smart strategy. And, and he said that it actually works, you don't want to go on YouTube as much, you don't want to use your phone, as, it's not as attractive, it's not as beautiful. And wouldn't it be so with life as well? Imagine if life was bland and colorless and black and white and dull and boring. You wouldn't want to live it. Such is the mystery of beauty. The very existence of it points to its mystery. Secondly, beauty is kind of pointless when you think about it from a pragmatic perspective it's kind of pointless it doesn't functionally do anything to help you it just sits there it kind of just exists it doesn't pump blood through your veins it doesn't keep you warm at night doesn't get you fed, doesn't make you sleep, doesn't keep you alive, it doesn't get stuff done, it just exists. And proof of that is the fact that beauty is often the first thing that people are willing to abandon when they're in survival mode. I was watching Saving Private Ryan, the movie, who's seen that movie before? It's a classic, Saving Private Ryan, And the first thing that struck me, as Priscilla and I were watching it last week, is how dull and how boring and how bland the scenery is. And that's what you would expect in the middle of war. I mean, the last thing you would expect would be for someone to start building origami as people's heads are blowing off. You wouldn't expect someone to start building an elaborate meal seven-course meal as grenades are being thrown and bazookas are being shot. It doesn't make sense. Beauty's superfluousness can be seen by the fact that it's the first thing on the chopping block when we're in survival mode. It's kind of pointless. And what's even crazier is that despite the fact that it doesn't do anything pragmatically, we instinctively feel that beauty doesn't have to get things done. We know it to be true. It doesn't have to earn its keep. It doesn't have to justify itself by what it can produce. We're happy for it to just sit on the wall and exist. It's one of the few things in the world that we're happy for it to not produce anything. In fact, I would actually go even a step further and say that we as human beings are willing to produce everything else if we could just have a little bit of beauty. Just think about it. We get the job that pays us the money that we then spend to buy the blue shirt instead of the comfortable shirt. To buy the paint that will sit on the wall, the white, the off-white, because we don't want the stark white. To buy the Mona Lisa, because we don't want that wall to be blank. And what does the Mona Lisa do? She just sits there. And we're perfectly fine with that. My professor in college who inspired this message, Mark Badley. he said, mysteriously, we don't want beauty for what, is, what it does, but because of what it is. It's an end in itself and something we value for its own sake. We value beauty even though from a pragmatic perspective, it's kind of pointless and there's not much else in this world. That we're willing to say that about. There's not much else in this world that we're willing to say, you know what, it doesn't do anything, but that's what it's supposed to do. I'm cool with that. Number three, beauty is oftentimes made by or through ugliness. Isn't that a mystery? It's a sheer mystery. Did you know that many of the incredible medical procedures and discoveries that we have today are a direct result of the medical experimentation that the Nazis did with the Jews during the Second World War? And did you know that some of the art and the beautiful architecture that we have today was built on the back of slaves? And did you know that, I mean, it's not so much now, but but a few years ago, chocolate, as you would walk into the store and look at a beautiful bar of chocolate and consume it and taste its beauty, was built on child labor. I mean, think about the songs you listen to on the radio and the movies you watch. The, the mastery and the craftsmanship of the actors and the musicians their, their lives are in shambles. What, what new Hollywood actor has to come out to tell us that, that they're consuming alcohol like water? What, what new artist has to come out and, and, and there has to be an announcement because they've died of an overdose and yet they're creating incredible art on a daily basis? I was watching the movie Oppenheimer recently, and there's this scene, I highly recommend you watch the movie, there's this scene where it's probably the, it's the, the height of the movie, it's the peak of the movie, where it, this is the movie about the atomic bomb and how it was made. And you see this scene where they detonate the atomic bomb successfully and I caught myself literally on the edge of my seat, breathless, and gasping for breath, and holding my breath all at the same time. Like this incredible scene where this light just burst forth, and it was so seismic, and massive, and beautiful, and yet, It followed by the sense that I have immediately after, the horrific sense and realization, the bone-chilling realization that this is a weapon of mass destruction. Beauty mysteriously has a capacity to arise out of ugliness. Number four beauty is both the great connector and the great separator of human beings. When you go on Facebook, there are millions and millions of groups, according to whatever you search up, millions of groups that you can find and communities that you can join. If you're a painter, there are painting groups, If you like fashion, there are fashion groups. If you like home decorations, there are home decoration groups. And the beauty of the home decoration, the beauty of fashion and clothing, the beauty of art and paintings brings and connects people together. And yet, how many wars and how many enemies have been made because of a difference of taste. You know, I can think of um, the classic movie, Snow White, and the Evil Queen, and there's this divide between the two. Suddenly, because the Evil Queen asks the mirror, who is the fairest of them all, and the mirror, according to the mirror's taste, is Snow White. And so the evil queen goes on this witch hunt to murder Snow White, all because of a difference of taste. Now, that's just a Disney movie, but how many of us have vilified and demonized others because they see things differently than we do? Because they appreciate beauty different than we do, out of our own insecurity. Beauty is the great connector and divider of humanity. Beauty is the reason why we're de- willing to decorate our home during Christmas, isn't it? I mean, we want people to come and join. In the beauty with us. There's something about beauty that we want to invite others to come and experience it along with us. We don't want to experience it, the beauty by ourselves. We want others to come. And so we beautify our homes with trees and lights and all sorts of decorations so that we can invite our friends and family during Christmas time to come and appreciate the beauty with us. And yet, While there are some of us in here who are going to go out of our way to create beauty to host people for Christmas, there are others here who have no one. And they won't bother creating beauty in their homes because there's no one to enjoy it with. Beauty connects us in a bizarre and mysterious way, and yet at the same time, it's the great separator of humanity. Number five, there's something about beauty that transcends time and space. If you are a two-day-old and you've beheld the face of your mother, it feels like time stops. And I'm sure you can relate with that feeling, if you're a 92-year-old and you've had thousands and thousands of times where you have been captivated and gripped by beauty, we say things like, man, you just had to be there. You just had to have seen it. You just had to have experienced it. And yet, Hundreds of people walk by where you were captivated by beauty and they weren't captivated by beauty, and you say you had to be there. You don't mean there, that physical space, you mean the place where you were gripped by beauty. It transcends space and it transcends time. Because when you experience beauty and it grips you, it feels like time just stops. Like, like it just stops. It just gets you. And you can't help but look at it and gaze upon it and behold it. And yet, when the moment is over, it feels like the fastest moment of your life, and you just want to be back there wherever there is. There's just something about beauty that transcends space and time. These are just five, but I'm sure if you spent some more time trying to rationalize and observe beauty, you could come up with more. It's not a comprehensive list just for time purposes, just the main ones. But I think you get the point. There's something about beauty that we can experience but not explain it's the mystery of beauty. And this is where, at the point in this message, though, we connect it to God, where we connect beauty to God. You see, you can try and analyze beauty, you can try and place it in a vacuum chamber and understand it, rationalize it, explain it, but beauty cannot be understood apart from God. We Westerners, we have a tendency to, to place things in an echo chamber, in a, a vacuum chamber where, where it's isolated from everything else and we look at it from every angle and try and analyze it, but the problem is that everything relates to everything and you can't just, you can't just isolate something and look at it because beauty relates to things and the preeminent thing that beauty relates to, if we want to understand it, is God. And that's because beauty has its source in God. All beauty comes from Him. It was created by Him. I mean, if you just think about the alternative for a second, if we all came from evolutionary processes, how could beauty exist in light of survival of the fittest? Why would we ever notice beauty or appreciate it if it doesn't actually help us to survive. And yet we say, if God doesn't exist, you know, there's this bacteria that the the smartest one, the strongest one, the fittest one evolved into an ape, and then from there, the smartest one, the strongest one, the fittest one evolved into a human. Well, why do we as humans even notice beauty and appreciate it if beauty doesn't help us to survive? The fact that beauty exists everywhere we look, and the fact that humans actually notice it and appreciate it, lends itself to the idea that beauty was made by a person. And that we as people can appreciate it because we were made in His image. God is that poor person, and He is the source of beauty. He is the creator of of beauty. Look at what it says in James chapter 1:17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, there are two reasons why we can see that God is the source of beauty, and the first is that He creates beauty from nothing. Like, who does that? God shows Himself to be the source of beauty in the way that He creates everything from nothing. We see in Genesis 1 that there was nothing, and God spoke, and there was. He said, Let there be light, and there was light. And how beautiful is light! He said, Let there be trees, and birds, and a garden. And there it all was, and He said, it is good. And He made Adam and Eve, He created humans and said, it is very good. He could have made it all bland, couldn't He have? He could have made it all colorless, black and white. No beauty, just function. And yet, look around you. One of the reasons why we don't black out these windows is because we want to be able to gaze upon the beauty of God in creation. We can see the trees. We can see the rain. We can see the light outside. We can see the sun and the clouds. The beauty of God. God lavishes His beauty upon us. He's almost over the top, scandalous even, in how he creates beauty in this world. He gives us something we don't even need. And he does it to show and to prove all the haters that he is the source of beauty. He has beauty in the palm of his hand and he can create it whenever he wants, however he wants, in whatever way he wants. God is the source of beauty, and we can see that by the way that He creates beauty from nothing. But it's not just the way that God is able to create beauty from nothing that shows us that He's the source of beauty. It's also the fact that He's able to create beauty from ugliness. Any artist will tell you, that it's easy, it's easy to create art when you've got the right tools, when you've got the right materials. Try painting the Mona Lisa without paint and without brushes. Now, I've been renovating my house, and this message speaks to me because, man, I have been working myself my fingers to a bone. I need to just stop and appreciate the beauty. But my point in raising that is that man, I have been borrowing my brother-in-law's tools for three months every weekend, and I could not have done any of it without his tools. Like you, it's just, like I'm not a master craftsman. I've never done renovations, but without those tools, I couldn't have done any of it. I I guarantee you. but it takes a master craftsman to turn trash into beauty. It takes a true artist to turn rubbish into true beauty. Only God can take dust and make it into you and me. Only God can take a snake, which we read was the symbol of what caused the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and then turn that whole symbol around and use it as a symbol of healing. As the the Israelites were walking through the desert, they would gaze upon the bronze snake and be healed. Only God can take someone as broken and sinful as you and me, and not only restore us, but then use us as instruments of restoration to the world. Only God can take mud and make a man see. Only God can take a cross and make a crown. Only God can take a tomb and make it empty. Only God can take Logan and bring revival. You know, this is the place where the Bogans are from. And we've been holding on to a prophecy for a long time that says that when the Bogans get it, everyone gets it. When the, Bogan, when the Bogans get it, everyone gets it. Because there's just something about God's ability to turn ugliness into beauty. And that shows that He is the master craftsman, that He is the source of beauty in the way that He creates, not only beauty from nothing, but beauty from ugliness. But it actually goes a step beyond that because God isn't just the source of beauty. It's not something He holds in the palm of His hand only and creates. He's the ultimate expression of beauty. God is the ultimately beautiful one, the supremely beautiful one. There is no one who even comes close to His degree of beauty. The thing that was so special about the Garden of Eden wasn't the fact that the garden was beautiful only, but that God dwelt there, and His glory emanated from within it. And when you fast forward to Revelation, there's a beautiful city made of gold and precious stones, and yet we read that the thing that makes it so special is not the city per se, but the fact that God dwells in their midst. More than giving us beautiful gifts, more than giving us beautiful things to see and taste and touch and hear. He gives us Himself, which is the definition of love. It's self-giving. Because He knows that He is our ultimate good, and there is nothing more beautiful than Him. So, He gives us Himself. David kind of picks up on this in Psalm 27 verse 4, the, same, the famous Psalm, where he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I, do I, I can't see from here, seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to do what? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple." In other words, David is saying that if I could just spend my whole life in the temple, gazing upon the beauty of God, that is a life well spent. God is so glorious, so majestic, that if you could just see Him, it would be the most beautiful and pleasing thing that you would ever see. Now, here's the thing with that. Here's the plot twist. You ready? Brace yourself for impact. I've gotten in trouble for this before. Don't tell you I didn't give a heads up. Seeing God is impossible. Can't do it. let me be really clear. You will not ever see God. Not now, and not in the life to come. I can promise you that. And people get angry at me, they get frustrated at me, they get, oh, what? How can you say that? And yet, I'm not telling them anything that the Bible hasn't already told them. In Exodus 23, Moses says to God, God, let me see you, and God says, no, if you see my beauty, you will die. We read of the tabernacle. We read of the temple as the the high priest, not just any old priest, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies he would go in only once a year and he would go only to offer atonement for sin. And he'd get the heck out of there. They'd tie a rope around him because if he died while he was in there, those who were outside could pull him out. And we read of a man who passed away. His name was Azar or Uza. I don't know how to pronounce that. In 2 Samuel, as the the Ark of the Covenant was falling down, He went to support it with all good intentions, and He was struck dead in the moment, flatlined, KO'd, gone, because He touched the Ark of the Covenant. Let me be clear, you will never see God the Bible describes God's beauty as a light that shines out. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? Were you successful? God's beauty is so bright, so vast, so infinite that it would be impossible for you to take in in its fullness. You will never see God in his essence. You cannot see God in His essence. It would be like taking the memory card of a supercomputer today and putting it in a 1970s computer. It would just be like overdrive. And to silence all doubt, to seal the deal, Timothy says, 1 Timothy 6.16, God alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. So, come to terms with it now that you will never see the Father. You will never see God in His essence. You cannot. And you don't want to because if you did, you would be disintegrated in a moment. And so, the claim that John makes in Revelation 22, verse 4, is an absurd one. It's a jarring one. It's a shocking one. He says, they will see His face. How do you get from Moses not being able to see God, to John saying in Revelation they will see His face. Here's the answer. The same John who said, they will see His face, is the same John who said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among Among us, friends, this is the game changer. Jesus is the incarnated beauty of God. Amen? The incarnated beauty of God. When Moses asked to see God's glory, Jesus picks up on that and says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul says in Colossians 1, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the author in Hebrews 1 uh, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1 verse 3 Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. You can't look at the sun but the sun's rays are Jesus. So in the life to come You will see God, but only in the face of Jesus. And you will will behold such beauty. You'll be able to touch Him, to hug Him, to cry with Him, to see His laugh, to see His smile. And you won't die as you behold Him. He will be seen and appreciated and beheld because He has taken on human flesh for the rest of eternity. He has become one of us, and He now lives as one of us. There's nothing more beautiful than Him. We receive not just God's gifts, but God Himself in and through the person of Jesus. I have one application point to close us here this morning, to close us out, and that is to practice beauty, practice beauty. I was trained in a ministry culture where we were taught to emphasize doing above everything else, just do, 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 do. We were literally trained to raise our adrenaline levels so that we were constantly living on the edge so that we would then go out and do stuff for God. Go out and evangelize. Go to every church meeting you possibly could. Go to every prayer meeting you possibly could. Just get stuff done. Do, 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 and don't rest. In fact, rest just once a week, And do it only so that you're enough rested to get more stuff done. Rest is just a means to an end. Beauty is just a means to an end. Do it insofar as it helps you to get more stuff done. But God is teaching His church a new way. And it's not to stop doing. We love to pendulum swing, Oh there was a season in my life where I did so much and now I'm doing nothing. That's It's not to stop doing but it's to start practicing beauty. Spend time creating beauty. Beauty itself is justified by not doing anything at all. So, if you want to be well acquainted with beauty, then you've got to learn to sit alongside it and do nothing. Just be, just exist along with it. If beauty just exists and it's justified in doing that, then if you want to get to know it, and if you want to create it, you want to sit alongside it, then you've got to learn to just be and practice beauty. The prophetic word that beauty preaches to us this morning is that God doesn't just want you to get stuff done. He wants you to stop burning the candle on both ends. He wants you to stop the mad rush. He wants you to press the pause button at times and stop the rat race, to go and make music, write a song. To write a poem, to paint for a whole day. He wants you to write plays, to do crochet, to make your food look and taste nice. And most important of all, to stop everything and just gaze at the beauty of God in the face of Jesus pursue Him, to meditate Him, to get to know Him, to reflect on Him, to know Him as the most beautiful and greatest of gifts. And that's how beauty will save the world. So let's all stand. I'll invite the worship team to come up. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And just envision the beauty of God in the face of Jesus. To meditate on Him. To just sit with Him. To be with Him. In fact, make it a commitment right now that this week... And for the rest of the year, leading up to Christmas, leading up to New Year's, you will practice beauty. Because when you practice beauty, it's not something that is apart from the kingdom of God. If God is the ultimate expression of beauty, if He is the source of beauty, then when you engage in beauty and practicing beauty, you're extending the kingdom, you're participating in His kingdom. Make it your commitment this morning to apply this Word, not just to hear it, does not sound good, does not just, is it something that makes you feel warm inside? To do something about it. I'm going to...